Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and three things up for review this week. First up is the new movie Bullet Train, then there's the adaptation of The Sandman on Netflix, and finally a new animated film on Apple TV Plus called Luck. First up is Bullet Train, and I went into this movie very excited. I saw the trailer and I was like, this looks like some good, dumb fun, which is sometimes just what you want in a, you know, especially if you're going to go to the theater these days. It's like, yeah, I want it to be a big action funny, which is what it seemed to be positioned as film. It's based on a book, which I didn't know going into it, but I could very much see how this actually would have worked pretty decently as a book. You know, it's basically a more high stakes uh, Agatha Christie-esque novel but when you translate it to film and you try and jam-pack all of these action sequences in and that there were a lot of things that just did not work for this movie I think the most egregious thing about it is that it does not trust its audience in any way shape or form but it also thinks it's being much more clever than it is but because it doesn't trust its audience it detracts from all those moments because it'll be like hey look at this funny thing don't you get why this is funny here's why it's funny I'm gonna show you a dozen times or hey here's this slight mystery part of it and then I want to make sure you get it so I'm gonna cut back to this thing and then also there's a bunch of stuff that happens that like isn't set up well simultaneously so it's it's a failure on all of those accounts you know I think a lot of people are gonna go see this for the cast you've got Brad Pitt who is Brad Pitt you know playing a version of Brad Pitt basically you've got Joey King who I just uh I don't I don't as an actress I'm not It didn't need to be Joey King. In fact, I think she was very miscast in this. You've got Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry, who I think were amongst the better of the group. You've got Andrew Koji. You've got Bad Bunny for some reason in it. And then you've got all these other people who are just completely uh, squandered in terms of their talents. Like they're on screen for a few minutes. I, I guess they're stunt casting effectively. But it was a little bit frustrating that for the most part, the Asian people were the stunt casting. The one person who gave the best performance, I think, in the film, and is also Asian, is Hiroyuki Sonata, who plays a character called The Elder. And, you know, he's in, it feels like he's in a different movie than everyone else. So good, good on him. It's directed by David Leach, who did Deadpool 2 and Hobbs and Shaw. And, you know, I he's also done some stuff that is not so great. But I, I know he has the capability to do this sort of comedy action thing. I just, I, I do know what went wrong here because I saw it play out on the screen. I was just super bummed. Also, this may have been specific to my screening of it, but the sound mix was out of control. Like the music was just absolutely overpowering and not in a good way. You know, it's a film that I think is trying to be clever or ironic with some of the music choices, which fine, whatever, that's a trend. But, you know, when it's it's deafening, it's a challenge. So again, biggest challenge is doesn't trust its audience. The, the sort of way that the plot unfolds, it's like, yes, some of this you planted some of this you planted and then like are hitting us over the head with to make sure you know we planted some of this you sort of planted but then something else comes out of nowhere where it's just like okay like why why did you do that the action sequences they weren't anything I felt blown away by they're sometimes over the gory I feel like it was trying to be like a little bit Kill Bill-ish so (laughs) I felt like this movie was trying to be a Bobo Kill Bill a Bobo Agatha Christie mystery and then a Bobo Guy Ritchie movie in terms of like Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry's dynamic so I which makes it a Bobo everything which makes it unoriginal which makes it just like there wasn't a lot going for it again I feel like people are gonna go see it anyway 
because they think it'll scratch that Neanderthal itch, but it won't. Like, I, I truly, looking back, I'm like, yeah, watch Deadpool again. Or honestly, watch like a Hobbs and Shaw or watch all the Fast and the Furious movies. I don't know. But also just, I love a good mystery, but the way that this one plays out and the order that they've done it in, in the movie, at least, is not logical and isn't a good, it's not only not logical, it's just like not a fun storytelling thing where everything just feels very convenient, even though some things are very inconvenient within the plot. I'm pretty bummed about this one. Like historically, I should have known that the odds were not in its favor, but just given everything going on with it, and given all the people who agreed to attach themselves to it, I thought, okay, maybe this could be pretty decent. And, and credit where credit is due. Whoever cut that trailer, you got me. So good job on that one. But I'm only going to give Bullet Train a two out of five. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back. And I'm back. And next up, I have The Sandman, which, depending on who you are, is the long-awaited adaptation of the comic series by Neil Gaiman, which I am almost embarrassed to admit that I had not read up until recently. I will caveat that it's actually shockingly expensive and or hard to get a hold of for something that has been in print for a very long time. A friend lent me all the books, and so I was finally able to read it in advance of The Sandman, and then I had a you know month or two to sort of ruminate on it, to give it a little bit of breathing room, and then finally watched the season. And... So I don't, I can't evaluate it as someone who has been a long time Sandman fan and I can't evaluate it as somebody who knows nothing about it because I just read all of it. But as far as adaptations go, I thought it was very good. And I think the key word, and I know the key word, is adaptation because it's not going to be a one-to-one. There are some changes that they make that I am fully supportive of. I think the biggest change is the comics uh, are set in the late 80s and the new series expands it a little bit and sets it in modern day and I'm like, yeah... There are some things in the comics that like just didn't hold up quite as well. I don't think it's the comics fault. You know, it's, it was very progressive for when it was written, but times change a little bit. And so that does have impact on some of the sort of technical storytelling elements of it. Also, you're compressing 10 volumes down into however long it is. Season one does this thing. And I, I figured that this was going to be the approach because the way the first book is laid out is like, yeah, that could have been its own season, but it's taking from, um, you know, some episodes are basically entire collection issues where it's like, cool, I know what the story is. Um, if you know, you know, like there's the diner storyline. That one takes place essentially as its own episode. And then there are others that pick and choose from the entire publication history where it's like, cool, we're going to bring in these characters earlier. We're going to show these characters on the side who, if you've read the comics, you know, like, oh, that's its own entire issue of it. But if you don't, you're just like, what's happening over there? You know, something interesting. As a byproduct of that, there is a somewhat uh, heavy sprinkling of exposition at times, but also your comic adaptation. And so, yeah, a lot of characters talk in semi-exposition. So let's talk about the casting. Uh, Huge cast. Tom Sturridge is Dream slash Morpheus. And I, you know, if you look at the comic to a human translation of it, I do think they did a very good job. I just personally, this is not a nice thing to say, but I found his face very punchable. And I, I, you know, that's just a personal hang up. Also, I think for me, it's because the only roles I've seen him in are like, you know, antagonistic before. But I, I think, you know, in terms of a physical human being trying to embody an anthropomorphized concept yeah, they did pretty well in the casting department. You know, I don't know who else I would have cast to play Morpheus slash Dream. So, you know, there. But there are some exceptional casting choices that I do want to call out. Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer. I just sat there and was like, where is more Lucifer? I I need Lucifer in this. Like, I, I thought she was so great. Kirby Howell-Baptiste plays Death. 
and I was I just absolutely sobbing uh, at one of her episodes slash moments. David Thewlis, who, you know, you probably know from Harry Potter, plays John D, who uh, he has another exceptional dark episode. Stephen Fry plays this super warm, amazing character. It's, I could go on about the cast, but, you know, the thing about The Sandman, this first season of it, is that it covers a lot of ground, but also just barely scratches the surface of what the scope of the books cover. And so it's hard to sort of like, at the end of it, I was like, I want more. But that's also because I know where the books went. It, I think it's it's I, the best comparison I can sort of make is Game of Thrones and having read all the books when Game of Thrones started or, you know, the available books when Game of Thrones started and then just still enjoying the show because it is an adaptation. It's an interpretation of it. You know, seeing some of these things that on the page are sort of uh, it visually represented one way and maybe like sketched out. You know, you don't see the whole comprehensive world intentionally. Some of that is great. Some of it maybe is better left uh, in, a, in a more dreamlike state on the page because production value, you know, you have a limited budget. It is what it is. Nothing's cheap about this. Also, I, I, I'm just, I know I'm typically relatively critical of CG and FX and I know how hard it is and I want to give a shout out to whoever did the effects on Matthew the Raven in this, which is voiced by Patton Oswalt, because I was like, oh, see, you're proving that you can do it, that it can be done. What's, what, come on, people, like, dedicate your time and resources appropriately. Anyway, so I think if you're a huge fan of the comics, and I don't know how else to say this, not a racist, and don't care that they updated some of the race of the characters or whatever, you know, or just not even updated, just changed, they adapted it, who cares, then... As long as you go into this knowing that it's an adaptation and it's not going to be a one-to-one because you don't want it to be a one-to-one, any adaptation brings new life and new perspective to it. So if you go into it with an open mind and being like, cool, this is this version of it, I think you're going to have a decent time. If you don't know anything about it, again, I can no longer speak to this because it is pretty fresh for me, but I think you will hopefully find something compelling in it. There's a lot of stuff you'll miss uh, that... I hope the show goes back and then sort of expands on those storylines. Like at the end of this, I was like, I want to make sure that they have all contractually committed to doing the entire run of the story because I am happy enough with how this is all playing out so far that I want to see it through. I want to see the rest of it, you know, on screen with these characters, with these actors, even punchable Tom Sturge to me. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, that is, that was my hope at the end of it, which I think is a very positive thing. Again, if you don't know anything about the Sandman, I think, you know, there's enough of it and enough exposition on for those things that you'll be able to pick it up and I think appreciate it. There's just extra layers that eventually will either pay off when future seasons happen or if you go and read the books. But I think it is worth checking out. I'm going to give it a 3.8 out of 5. And then the last thing I have to review this week is a film called Luck. And I had to think very carefully about how I mean I'm always honest in my reviews but sometimes I feel like I may be a little more generous uh because I I do acknowledge that you know films I'm trying to do these reviews for a, a wide berth of audiences not just me but when it came to luck I just don't have anybody I would recommend this film to and it's so disappointing because I like there's people involved in it who I enjoy there's you know, effort and time, and I know how hard it is to make a movie, but my God, who went, looked at the script and went, yeah, that should be a feature-length film. Also, I realize I'm now looking at the uh, uh, filmography of the writer of it, and I was like, okay, well, uh, Cars 3 is under their uh, filmography, but you know, I actually in, enjoyed Cars 3 a million times more than I enjoyed this film. So the premise behind Luck is that there's a girl, and she's unlucky, and then she goes to the land of luck. 
okay, sure. There's a lot of things you could do with this, actually. But this film is just... It reminds me of a lot of earlier 2000s animation movies. Blue Sky really liked to do this a lot in the early days, where it's not necessarily a movie. It's basically like an animated Rube Goldberg, but the character is actually the thing going through the Rube Goldberg machine. That is what this reminded me of. And I'm not saying that to like knock Blue Sky per se, because they would only do it once or twice in their movies. Other studios did it too. I just think of things like Horton Hears a Who uh, really stood out for me that, or like robots probably. And, And again, a lot of animated films have this in them. A lot of animated films don't. This film is primarily those character as a Rube Goldberg machine sequences. And I'm like, that does not a movie make. I did look at the director's background and she was a dancer and choreographer. And I was like, oh... I think you were taking your choreography and dance background and trying to instill it into this animated movie, which is fine, but you also need to know how to use it. And is it storytelling? Is it compelling? You know, is is the dance, is the movement actually telling a story or is it just a series of physics happening? And I felt like this was just a series of physics happening. You know, the other thing is, Because luck is involved, and actually there is a parallel with Bullet Train because Bullet Train ended up having a bunch of, you know, philosophical discussions about luck. But this is, you know, the idea that luck is a literal manifestation of something and you can impact it. Because luck is a driving force in this, it doesn't feel like any character has any agency or is actually affecting the story at all or any of those things. And yes, I know this is a child-friendly movie, so it's meant to be, you know, it's not necessarily... Again, I have this, every time I review an animated movie, I'm like, it's just a movie. It's animation is not a genre. It's a medium. And you should be held to the same standards as other films. And so I, you know, I'm just like, and and also same goes for family friendly content or all ages friendly content. Just because you are friendly towards younger audiences does not mean you are unable to have the complexity that adult or like more mature audiences can understand. And this doesn't have any of that. I also don't even know, like I don't have a test audience for Would a little kid like all these choreographed animated sequences? So anyway, there's a girl. She's unlucky. She's also an orphan. I don't know if that's because she's unlucky, but you know. And then most of the movie is her bumbling her way through life and uh, adventures in the land of luck. And the whole shtick is that she's actually very selfless, which, okay, fine. That's the only redeeming thing about this movie is that character. You've also got some, like, pretty famous voices in it. I'm like, why? Why? Why would you do this? You've got Simon Pegg, who I thought, I truly thought was doing a Craig Ferg. I thought it was Craig Ferguson. Uh, the, why? It gets revealed. But Jane Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg, Colin O'Donohue, Lil Rel Howery, like, Flula Borg, which, all right, whatever. I just, ah. Uh, frustrated frustrated by this film disappointed by this film the animation itself is I've seen a lot better with a probably a lot smaller budgets there's also in addition I've said the plot is garbage but there's also these weird uh, music video sequences and I'm like was this supposed to be a musical and then your budget got cut like were you trying to make one song happen or go viral for the children's or whatever it is like you know and then there's also only so much I think any audience can take of not only those those not only those choreographed sequences but just every obstacle in this movie is so absurd and so frustrating and because this character essentially has no control over it and there's nothing they can do skill wise or you know grow as a person wise in order to overcome this based on the constraints of the movie you're just like I don't care I just I don't care you're doomed just be doomed because you are annoying me at this point. So I cannot in good conscience recommend this film to anyone. I'm so sorry. I'm going to give it a 1.8 out of 5.
That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.